Numbers, the uh, 20th chapter, uh, Numbers, the 20th chapter, verse uh, number 1 through 13 is where we're going to launch the uh, text from. I pray you'll be in prayer. Begin to fast and pray for Easter as uh, we are just uh, beginning to believe God uh, that many, many people will be here, individuals, their lives will be changed. It's Resurrection Sunday, and we cannot wait until then and say, oh, we, we missed that. We just really want to be prepared. We want to fast. We want to bathe this place in prayer. We want to believe God. Listen, these are the days. I believe that with all of my heart. I call the message Attitude. I love this message, Attitude You Choose. And um, I want to I deal with that as it relates to the life of Moses. But I thought I'd give you a few things that you might ponder just for a few moments that is on the screen. And here's uh, just kind of start with several. So let's take a look. So try, try this out for size, okay? Just sit on it uh, for a minute. If you don't get everything you want, think of the things you didn't or don't get that you don't want. Uh, make any sense? Here's another. Life is a shipwreck, but we must not forget to sing in the lifeboats. Here's another. If you don't think every day is a good day, just try missing one. Here's another one. Oh, my friend, it's not what they take away from you that counts. It's what you do with what you have left. Here's another. Every day may not be good, but there's something good in every day. Here's another. Life is not happening to you. Life is responding to you. Wow. Happiness is an attitude. We either make ourselves miserable or happy and strong. The amount of work is the same. Think on that. Think big thoughts, but relish small pleasures. Defeat is not bitter unless you swallow it. If we try to see something positive in everything we do, life won't be necessarily, or life won't necessarily become easier, but it becomes more valuable. I don't think of all the misery, but of the beauty that still remains. That's Anne Frank. I thought that was crucial. A person will sometimes devote all of his life to the development of one part of his body. What is it? The wishbone. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. You never go anywhere. A strong, positive mental attitude will create more miracles than any wonder drug. Amen? I know some people, they're positive about their negativity. I really do. This is a challenge because all of us wrestle with keeping ourselves in check. One of the greatest assets that we have in life that goes a long way is the choice of an attitude. It's positive and 
If the attitude is positive in your life, you can sail through the stormy weather of life with a courageous resolve. I just want to remain positive. However, if your attitude is negative, here's what's going to happen. You're going to limp along in life and you're going to wonder why you never enjoyed some of the wonderful things that other people enjoy because you're just limping along with the negative spirit. Attitude is the privilege of choice in every situation to respond either positively or negatively. You had that opportunity maybe coming to church tonight with the traffic. You may have had that opportunity on some store today or on the job. You see, your attitude is the guide to your future, and it will be threatened by circumstances demanding influence. So influence, circumstances that are there. But if it's kept in check spiritually, causing it to remain positive, you will achieve your highest potential. Who are you and the maturity of your attitude is often determined under pressure. So God, what is the pressure of my day? How has it been? Someone asked me as I was walking through the uh, fair out there, looking at the rides and checking those things out. The inspector for the state was there to be sure all the bolts are in place and all the, all the little deals are in place, the little pins and all that, because I thought, Lord, I, I don't want to get on one of those and the thing come apart, but I'm, I'm assured now that it's all together, and I have a positive attitude about it. And please listen carefully to this message. Opposition has a purpose. Say that with me. Opposition has a purpose. Numbers 20, verse 2. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered. They gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. I served in the Assemblies of God headquarters here in Florida for almost eight years. I knew what it was to drive up to a church where there was opposition. I can't tell you how many times that I would engage in performing business meetings for churches that they were at odds with, uh, some in the church board, at odds with one another, at odds with what color somebody painted the kitchen. And it's amazing that the Red Sea always came back. You had a group of people seated over here that they thought they were right and they knew they were right because they had talked to God about it. And you had a group over here that they were right, and they knew they were right because they had talked to God about it. And often when you would walk in the door as a district official, they would come and tell you, I want, I want you to know that the people over there on that side, they are wrong, and get into, get into the challenges that were there. And then I can tell you, get this now, that from experience, church people can have a bad attitude. Church people can have a stinking attitude. But you know what? Everybody else can as well. What is the differential that separates us? It is supposed to be our relationship with Christ. You can have that bad attitude about your job, about your family member, about what you make or don't make, etc. But opposition has a purpose. Someone has said, we do not meet with success except by reiterated efforts. We just keep going at it over and over again. We find ourselves at the failure of Moses. 
the failure of Moses, there's several things about this incident. It was so great, it cost him the entrance into the promised land. It wasn't that he, the deed that stopped him. It wasn't the striking of the rock when he was supposed to speak at the rock. It was what was happening inside him before that action took place. You can always tell what's inside by the manifestation of what happens outside. Amen? It was the deed. It wasn't the deed. It was the attitude or position of his heart. But let's give the guy a break, okay? Let's just give him a break. If you follow the story, you read it. I love reading out of the Old Testament. He endured a lot of hardships that no other man in his generation had had to endure. Why? There was only one leader, only one Moses, only one. He was charged with leading this group of people out of the bondage of Pharaoh, only one person that experienced those hardships. He experienced disappointments. I mean, how many times do you pray and God does not show up? How many times have you prayed, God, do something about this, and nothing moved? Imagine being the leader of several million people and saying, God, from my perspective, here's what I think you need to do, and God doesn't do it. And you are the only leader that's taking your direction from the Lord. He had emotional challenges. He had physical traumas. It's not easy. He had spiritual tests all during his leadership. And God has ministered to Moses and the Israelites. We all know that. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. We all have a testimony. We all have a sheet of paper that we write down all the good things that, that God has done and say this was miraculous. That was a God thing. But that seems to become pale when you're facing a giant and facing a tough challenge right now. It seems to pale because you say, I know what God did do, I understand it. But right now, this is all different what I'm facing right now. I am innocent. I am not guilty. I have been framed. I, I want you to know this is not my fault. And you can hear that in your home. You don't have to go downtown to hear it. You can hear it in your own family. You can hear it where you work. We know that God administered to him. And we know that the presence, you cannot deny, a burning bush. We all believe that took place. You cannot, you cannot deny the plagues that took place there in Egypt, the pillar of cloud that took place in the desert, the fire by night. You cannot erase the Red Sea opening. You cannot, you cannot erase the fact that he struck the rock and, in fact, he went dead silent. <laughs> How am I doing now? My voice is bass now. This is a different anointing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling like an evangelist now. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. So what do you want me to do? <clears throat> you want me to turn this one off? Okay, I'm moving on. You can't deny the pillar. You can't deny the Red Sea. You can't deny that he, that he tapped the rock, struck it with the rod, and the water came out. You can't deny that God appeared in a mountain. You just can't. It's recorded there. Moses saw it. His people saw it. 
Fire destroyed all the rebels that came against them. You can't deny that. You can't deny that there was manna, there was quail for food in the middle of the desert. All those wonderful things. You say, but God, how wonderful is that? How great is that? Moses had seen what is considered to be the best of the best. I've never seen a burning bush that would not be consumed. I've never seen that. I've never seen that. I've never seen manna come out of heaven and, it, and, you, and have an appetite to taste it every single day. It's not like, where do you want to look at the menu? No, today it's manna and it's quail. I mean, that's all there is to it. What's Sunday for lunch? Well, you don't get anything Sunday for lunch. It's manna and quail on Monday. Moses had been the best of best, worst of the worst, and now here it is. He is a threshold of a brand new beginning at a threshold of a brand new beginning. And I think at that moment you would think, well, should Moses have to go through anything else if he's at the threshold of a new beginning? It's like someone saying, hey, I, I, I am more qualified, overqualified for that job, and the people have known you for ever and ever and ever and ever, and they know your record. They know how you responded, and they say, well, if you don't mind, though, send us a resume. A resume for what? You know my production. You know what I've done. You know about me. You know my history, and you want me to send a resume. It was kind of like God was saying, hey, I'm I'm going to put you into a pressurized situation, a little pressure that's here. He's at the threshold at the entrance of the promised land. Now he's dealing with some new people. The majority died of the first generation. Now we've got a generation that was born actually in the promised land, and they too had witnessed the miracle power of a mighty God. They accepted Moses as a mighty leader, and that new generation has come, and they've seen the presence of God. God always has two things in mind. Number one, you. You're the Moses in your life. And number two, the will of God, what God is calling you to do. It's just a matter of fact. God is concerned about you, but he's concerned about your ministry. He's concerned about how you manage your life. He's concerned about the path that you're taking. He's concerned about how you're growing spiritually in the deep recesses and grace of God. And he's concerned about you staying on track and remaining on course. You see, here's the fact. If, if, if everything is okay in you and your mind is right before God, it does not make any difference what the will of God throws at you. Somehow or another, you make it through by the grace of God. Everybody know what I'm talking about? If your heart is right, your mind is right, your spirit is right, your attitude is right, you can say, I don't understand this. But I know that God is able to protect me and guide me. Now, you would think that after 40 years that Moses would have that down. You would think. But there's some things that have happened of late in the life of Moses. The people seem to be doing what they do best. They're complaining and they're murmuring. Well, you would think, well, if you know they're going to do that, just accept that. You know what? Can I tell you something? There is no worse place to be and live than having to put up with a nagger. Amen? Nag, 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 nag. How many of you know what nagging sounds like? One or two or three of you. Just nag, nag, nag. 
Somebody that works with you, works, I hate to say for you, they nag all the time about what they don't have on the job. Nag all the time about not having a raise. Nag all the time about not having the kind of insurance. Nag all the time about not having the right truck to be able to drive in the bit. Nag all the time that they get the worst deals. Pray tell, set their nagger down and tell them you are done. Hello? Why? Because if you have more than one employee, that one employee, I promise you, will bring poison to the rest of your team. Slipped into coaching there, got close to yard talk, but stayed away. They're complaining. Opposition to Moses and his leadership. Well, they're over there in the phone booth. I wonder who they're talking about, Moses. Well, there they are in the lobby of Wendy's. Yeah, they're getting a helmet. Yeah, they're talking about Moses. There they are over in the parking lot at the mall. Yeah, I wonder what they're all gathered. They're talking about Moses. They don't like it because that's what they did all the time. Be careful that you and I are never caught doing that. They declared this. When you get down and you get wrong and you get bitter and you become negative in your attitude, they said, here it is. We should have died with our brothers. You know why? Death was not scaring, staring them down the face but we should have died. Well, why would you bring us to the desert? Why did you bring our livestock out here? Why did, why did you bring us out of Egypt? This place is so desolate. It's not what we thought. We, we have no water to drink. It's strong opposition. And if we're not careful, we'll develop a negative attitude when opposition comes. I don't know that God is in to pity parties. How many, how many can, you, can you swallow that for a moment? I don't know that God is into pity parties. Now, I think he permits it. But the best pity party you ever had, do you feel any different after you've, you're through pitying? You know, think of all the time that you wasted. I think God permits us to woe is me from time to time. That happened to, uh, what was that major prophet that had, he was like, it wasn't Elisha, who was it? Uh, well, let's take Elijah. How about that pity party? Y'all need to help me out now. I'm baiting you up out there. Y'all need to come alive. Elijah. All the miracles, the great. What did he do? I just want to die. And unfortunately, there are some people that are in a pity party in the churches of America because they believe the church has not done enough for them. But when we come to realize that God is the author and finisher of our faith, and that whatever happens in the life as it relates to opposition, that it can be very, very positive. Here's a few questions. What purpose does opposition serve when opposition smacks you in the face? What, what or somebody strongly disagrees with you, what purpose does the opposition serve for you? Here's another question. What precipitated the opposition? Take a look at your front door and your back door steps and say, 
Am I the one that created that opportunity? And then how do I evaluate the opposition that comes my way? How can I become better because of any opposition that I'm having? God, how shall I respond to this challenge? You know, can this be dealt with now? Is the timing right to deal with it? Uh, What is the motive behind the challenge? And God, we understand, had a new level of leadership for Moses that Moses was going to now shift from being a deliverer to becoming a pastor and a conqueror. You see, it takes one skill set to deliver and to masterfully take you through the desert, but it's another skill set to become the pastor and the conqueror because now they're going to go into the promised land. They're going to cross over Jordan. So let me see, uh, Moses, if you have the credentials here. He'd been a great leader. Does he have that ability for his new future, for this new group of people that's there, that they are now in the promised land? Remember what's in the promised land? It's all the pomegranates, all the grapes, all the fruit that's there. That's pretty good. All the animals that are there. And those, those who oppose, you know, we understand that often those who oppose think because they blame that they're going to have success. So let me give you a few thoughts. Blame never affirms it assaults. So before you point your finger, blaming someone, remember it it never affirms, it assaults. Blame never restores, it wounds. Blame never solves, it complicates. Blame never unites, it separates. Never smiles, it frowns, it Never forgives, it rejects. It never builds, it destroys. No one likes opposition. We don't run out every day and say, send me some opposition. You know, just send it to me. Send me some, yeah, I mean, you might after this message go out and say, I'd like some opposition. Well, don't be surprised if it's riding in the car with you. If you just probe a little bit, you probably come up with something. If there's only two of you in the car, you could disagree on. I don't recommend it. So here's one individual that saluted his competitors. Sometimes he said, I think my competitors do more for me than my friends do. My friends are too polite to point out my weaknesses. But my competitors go to the great expense to advertise them. My competitors are efficient, diligent, and attentive. They make me search for ways to improve my product and my service. If I had no competitors, I might be lazy and competent and inattentive. I need the discipline they enforce on me. So I salute my competitors because they've been good to me. God bless them all. Amen? God bless them all. Well, number two, instruction must be processed. Now, Sharon said to me today, you did not hear a word I said. Any of you men, so I don't feel like I'm the only one, but have any of you men ever had your spouse tell you that? You, you said, go ahead and get it up real high. Yeah, that's good. In fact, let's just do the wave. You know, wouldn't that be wonderful? 
Oh, hallelujah. You didn't hear a word that I said. I said, oh, yes, I did. I repeated it back. Hear me. I only missed one word in repeating it back. Just one. Just one adjective. I only missed one adjective. It didn't matter. But I've been sweet about it. Amen. I'm telling you, when you see her, tell her to cut me some slack. How about that? Here we go now. Instruction, Numbers 20, verse 8. Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together, speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. And you will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. Now, don't make big decisions when you're worn out. And don't make big decisions late at night. Y'all with me? It's just a process. So Moses is tired. He's emotionally drained. Why? His sister Miriam has died. Miriam was the one that rescued him when he was a baby. Miriam was the one who looked after him in the initial stages. And now Miriam is dead. Moses is having to deal with the opposition from those that he's led adequately. And he's having to deal with his own personal pain. And it's at that moment that God knew the moment to push the button on Moses. And why is that? Because what we did not know then, we do know now. That there was only one that was going to be smitten. And his name was Jesus. And there was only one that had to be obedient and make himself available for the crucifixion. And it was Jesus. And God was beginning to set a pattern because Moses had been the deliverer. Now he's about to become the savior, so to speak, the pastor and the conqueror. So can Moses do exactly what God says so that the illustration of who Jesus is many years after that could be seen in Moses. For the thing that God said about Moses' failure was you did not let them see my glory through your act of disobedience. And the whole deal when Jesus was crucified, those around him and those that crucified him, and they couldn't do it. He, he gladly laid his life down. The reality is none of them saw the glory of his crucifixion until the resurrection. So Moses is, is hurting, did not understand the big plan. He's reached that moment of confusion. He's short-fused, he's exasperated, and he's ready to execute. And he decides to go to the tabernacle and falls down in the presence of God. 
He's taking his case to God because he's so weary, and he cries out to God. And what he was doing, the people that he's delivering are here murmuring and complaining, and the person who's doing the leading is face down here and Aaron before God. He said, wow, unbelievable. What did he want to hear? He wanted to hear what a person would like to hear when they're in the midst of challenge and opposition and they're weary and tired. He wanted to hear God say, hey, I have pity on you, Moses. I really do. I understand your behavior. What did he want to hear? I'll tell you what, because he did it before. You don't have to worry, Moses. I'm going to go out and strike their mouths. I'm going to get even with them. I'm going to take a few of them and set fire to them. They're going to fall dead right where they are. And you know what? Here's here's what's unfortunate. That would have been just fine with Moses. You want to take them? Go ahead. That suits me. What did he want to hear? Well, I will allow you to strike them. Just line them up. What did he want to hear? Hey, you have a right to feel the way you feel. But what does God say? What does God say? I don't want you to use a weapon. I don't want you to use a tool. I want you at this very beginning to show them the power in the spoken word. Speak to the rock. Because my people have been raised in an environment to where it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Don't turn the other cheek. My people have been in an environment where that rod has been the Savior. But I want them to understand if you speak as we speak the word tonight. I want them to understand that all you have to do is speak because my word will do what needs to be done. Just speak the word. No longer the rod, no longer the fist, but now the beauty and the salve of the spirit of a living God, Jehovah God, just speak to the rock. Just speak to it. Moses, we know, was not able to do that. He walked out and they were critical even more. He got up and went before the people and said, listen, you rebels, Must we bring, must we bring water out of this rock mistake? Who brings water out of the rock? I bring water out of the rock. Aaron brings, no. Must I do it? No. It was God. God said, you missed giving me the glory. At that moment, Moses rebuilt that attitude through his actions And years before this, they needed the water. He struck the rock, and that was it. Now it's time to speak to the rock. You see, I think God matures us and gives us at least, here's how I believe it according to the Word of God, that there are milestones in our Christian experience that God has for us to go to and said, that's your goal. And if we start back here in our relationship with Jesus, what God has in store to use us for at this point in life, it's important that we 
have the experience and the heart and the brokenness and the maturity to be able to deal with whatever level God wants us to be at at this stage. But what happens is we become weary and well-doing, and we become tired, and we become restless, and we go here, and God says, okay, it's about here, Moses, that I, I need you to speak to the rock. There is the promised land. I just need you to speak to the rock. But Moses had allowed his intentable circumstances and allowed the murmuring and allowed exhaustion and allowed his emotion to get in the way. And it was right here was the valley of decision that God says, when you speak to the rock, you're going to reveal principles that are going to take us through thousands of years from now. Lord, God, not my will, but thy will be done. You could have called the rod of 10,000 angels. You could have said... I'm not mentally, emotionally, and prepared for this. Send down fire. But he spoke the words, not my will, but thy will be done. And he fulfilled the will of the Heavenly Father. Listen carefully, my friend. When you and I get bent out of shape and we get off mark, when God in intersects with us here, we need to be here ready to salute, ready to go. How? Because that's where we are in fact headed. That's the promised land. And here's what, here's what concerns me. Sometimes when people have been in the church for so long and been in ministry and been faithful to the church for so long, they often get to the place that the enemy convinces them to shift into neutral or cruise control. In every case where God used the leadership to perform the great and mighty things, he used those that were prepared in their heart, in their spirit. And you and I do not know what we may have to face tomorrow. Listen, you rebels, speak to the rock. He struck it, and the water came out. Did they get water? Sure. Several critical areas of concern. Had the pressure, had the pressure matured Moses over the years? At that stage, it had not. Had Moses forgotten who was in charge? Do I have to bring water out of the rock? Had Moses become more or less compassionate? Listen, you bunch of rebels. Was Moses angry at the people or at God? The Bible says that after his act, he begged God and repented to be able to go on into the promised land. And he was not able to go because God did not see that promise in his heart. Could Moses be obedient to God? Or his experience? Could God lead a person with an attitude? 
And does a bad attitude provoke discord and unity? We all believe it. Moses believed by faith the water would come, and God honored his word, not Moses, when the water came out. Why? Because the people needed water. So finally, positive attitudes is the win. Numbers 20, 12, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me in enough, you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I've given them. That positive or negative attitude, the only way to win and to please God is to be that positive person Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Keep your mind on those things, and we know that to be true, but you may say, well, that's easier said than done. Amen? Easier said than done. But you know what? When we get to this place right here, the little piddly things that bothered us all back here, we ought to be able to manhandle with ease by the time we get here because you've been through enough. You've experienced enough heartache. You've seen disappointment. You've experienced unanswered prayers. You've been slapped around. You've been through divorce. You've been abused. You have family fights. You've lost a job because somebody didn't like you. You have friends that turn out. All those things, all those things there. But when you get here, you ought to be able to say, yeah, God, I thought all those were monumental. But now I'm about to do something supernatural. There's one man on the planet, one, one man on the planet, one man on the planet that I've chosen to speak to that rock, only one, and that's you. And I want to encourage you to not get drifted over in the ditch because you never know when you may be the one just the one. I saw a story today of a young lady, I believe in the Dominican Republic, that her father abused her for years and years. She was going out of her mind, came to surface when she was about 13, had been years of abuse. She went to her mother and said, this is what's happening to me. And her mother said, you must have asked for it. She got no coaching. She got no tenderness. She got no help. You must have asked for it. She said, depleted and wanting to commit suicide. Not having any influence, but knowing that every time I was alone, I would be approached by my own father, not my stepdad my own dad. And I went out of the panic 
to my mother, and she said, I must have asked for it. I had nowhere else to go. I fell in the floor, and I cried out to God, scratching the wall of my room. And a light, a light came in, a light of manifested color that I felt the power, and I heard a voice that said, I care. Ask your father for forgiveness. Her response was, I'm to ask him for forgiveness, to forgive me. Ask him. She couldn't go to her mother, but she said the power of that experience was so strong and so real. I knew it just had to be God. I went to my daddy. I sat down and said, Daddy, please forgive me. Forgive me for anything that I did, for any act or any deed that's created torment for you. She said, I've watched my daddy fall on the floor, shaking uncontrollably because it took my asking forgiveness to break the chain in his life that the devil had had so long. The torment of what she had to deal with from here to here. But the big decision was here. Being tormented again was a part of the routine of her life but doing a major step that is against culture, that's against the mind, that's against the program of man, against any counselor at that point, is ask your daddy to forgive you. Speak to the rock. Don't hit him. Speak. The Holy Spirit functions in our lives not this way. The Holy Spirit functions in our lives with open hands, open hearts, open spirits that says whatever, however you direct my path. I want to be available because I don't know how you're going to use me my position from being a deliverer and a fighter and a protector is going to change because when I get here, I'm going to be a pastor and I'm going to be a conqueror. That's the spirit that you need to lead people in the promised land. Heavenly Father, we thank you because we sense and feel at this moment the presence of the Holy Spirit. We said earlier you were going to be here and we believe it right here and right now. We said earlier that you were going to anoint and you were going to heal. We believe that in Jesus' name. We experience a mighty move of your spirit in us.
And I do not know what you might be saying to any one individual, but I know this. You are speaking to a whole lot of people tonight in this room and around the world on our live feed. I believe that. So, God, we're looking and asking you for wisdom and direction, and we believe that as we hear the Holy Spirit, we hear his voice speak to us. The power of forgiveness, the power of remaining positive, the power of not murmuring, the power of not nagging, the power of knowing, God, that we have more things to celebrate than we have those things to grieve over. How beautiful is it? to be able to rest in the power and in the presence of Almighty God. Would you stand with your heads bowed, and would you just think about repeating this prayer? Repeat it with me right now, everyone. Dear Jesus, Jesus, forgive me. I have sinned. I I ask you, you, touch my heart, touch my my mind. mind. I have not lived right. I have not loved right and I need your help please come into my heart give me the strength give me the stamina to be able to let go of things that hold me in bondage and let me look forward with a positive spirit for the things you're going to use me for in my future I claim this now I claim you as Lord and Savior in Jesus name amen amen let's put our hands together And let's thank God, shall we? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to open that. We're going to sing a few minutes. But I just want to open the altar up because I sense and feel that some of you have a strong, strong, not condemnation, but a conviction that God says. And listen, it was a simple voice from God that said, speak to the rock. He didn't call in news reporters. He didn't send something across the sky and write it out. He spoke to Moses and said, this is what I want you to do. And God is speaking to you. But the real clear deal is this. If you hear it, be sure you're obedient to it. And if you're not obedient, I promise you, you'll make a decision. That's not in alignment with Jesus. Let me just finish this some of you are walking about to walk through a threshold that is not godly you're about to accept some things of compromise in your life and you're about to make decisions that you know in the deep of your heart number one those in authority do not agree with and those who love you most do not agree with and you know in the Holy Spirit but you know why you can't hear Because you become a bit rebellious. And rebellion is the sin is of witchcraft. And that will cause you to miss an opportunity to have God's best in your life. So we're going to sing, you come. Would you do that as God directs your path?